Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for tuning in. This is the 411 Ground and Pound Radio Show, your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I'm Robert Winfrey. I'm your host for this and 99% of the time on this show. Uh, Certainly going forward, at least. If you go way back in the archives, this was Mark Radulich's baby. Uh, All right. Tonight we will be previewing UFC 216 which uh, will be coming your way on the 7th, so and on Saturday. It's really not a bad card. Uh, there's a couple of fights that are just kind of there, but there's a few that are that have some real potential, so uh, we'll be breaking down all that action to the best of our abilities. And then we'll, of course, touch on any major news that we want to bring up. I don't think there was anything major that broke over the last seven days, but I could be wrong. I have people for that. My personal finger is not necessarily on the pulse of MMA news. But I have Jeff for that. And uh, Jeff is here again, so we will be able to go into that. All right. If you would like to call in, uh, feel free to do so at 323-657-0901. If you would like to send a message via some form of text format, feel free to tweet me at WinfreeMMA. You can leave comments on the Radlich and Broadcasting Network Facebook page where this particular play is embedded. Uh, and I will be doing my best to monitor all that. If you have questions, I'm happy to address them on air. Uh, feel free to go into that. All right. With that out of the way, first up, 411 Mania's resident jack of all trades. Uh, Jeff Harris is here with us again. Jeff, how are you this evening? I'm not writing mysteries or rewriting history, but I am here to take down the MMA industry. Good evening, everyone. And holding things down on the East Coast for us, our resident pugilistic pontiff, amateur boxing historian, and the only man who might know more useless trivia about combat sports than I do, Pat Mullen. Pat, how are things going for you? Hey, hey, it's Conrad, and welcome to Something to Wrestle With with Bruce. Oh, wait, that's the wrong show. Sorry, guys. We're all grateful it's not that show. Do, do, do. Uh, All right, we're going to jump right into UFC 216 here. Our main event for the interim lightweight title, Ugg. Not Ugg to the fight. I love this fight, but... I mean, are we at a point where we... This will be, what, the third active interim title that we have? Or just the second? Because this is lightweight. I know we have middleweight. I want to say there's one other interim belt floating around out there. But I could be mistaken. Are, are we at a point where we can legitimately start like taking a betting pool as to who is more likely to ever fight again between Connor and Khabib? You could certainly get that pool set up, I think. I might be thinking of Max Holloway, but he's he beat Aldo and became the champion, so I think we're still just at two interim belts. Uh, yeah, I just... I don't like interim belts. I think there are circumstances that call for them. I do not believe at the moment that either middleweight or lightweight should need one, but such is life. Anyway, the fight itself is rather excellent. Uh, Tony Ferguson, who we are all big fans of here at this show, uh, Ferguson is on a really significant winning streak. What, 10 fights? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. He's on, he's on a 9 fight winning streak. Uh, he's only lost once in the UFC. 
And that was a really bad off night to Michael Johnson. He just wasn't ready for Johnson's hand speed, which I think really kind of shocked Ferguson. Um, because if you if you rewatch that fight, Johnson is just because Michael Johnson one of his like only real assets is the fact that he punch it, he has fast hands. They wear out pretty quickly, and his power hasn't translated as well as he'd like to. You know, continuing in the division, but. You know, Tony's hands weren't nearly what they are now when he, they had that fight. It was much more reliant on power. And, I mean, the man still punches hard, but now he, you know, he's much better now than he was at that, at that juncture. And he's fighting Kevin Lee. Uh, Kevin Lee has, I believe, just one loss. Two. He has two, only one in the UFC. Two. He has two in the UFC. He lost a short-notice debut to Ally Aquinta, and then he just didn't take Leonardo Santos seriously, I think. But he's won his last five fights, which is certainly nothing to sneeze at. He has finished four of them, his last four, actually. And he just choked out Michael Chiesa. Uh, This is, given that, you know, Khabib can't stay healthy and Conor McGregor is off in la-la land, these are probably two of the best lightweights we have at the moment. And I'm really looking forward to this fight. Uh, rather than me drone on and on, uh, Pat, I'll start with you. What do you think? Uh, how do you think this fight's going to go? What it, you know, what techniques do you see being utilized and useful for both guys? Just you know, give it, give me your thoughts. To me, the big X factor is I've seen Tony Ferguson get into grappling exchanges or use some unorthodox takedown techniques at times if he's in a situation where maybe he's potentially being able to be counterstruck against because he. Throws one of the, he does a lot of unorthodox things, and he does them really well. But at times he'll leave himself vulnerable visually only to drop down for some kind of weird either ankle pick or kind of a roll and leg trip. And I think that's the kind of stuff he needs to stay away with, with from Kevin. Um, Kevin Lee is a great wrestler. He is a great wrestler. He is a strong, quick, athletic, poised wrestler. And if you allow him to play that game, he's going to beat you. What Tony needs to do is use his hands, utilize his height, utilize his length. He needs to limit the exchanges and needs to push Lee into uncomfortable situations by using the height and reach. Utilize the clinch on and off. Don't keep it consistent where Lee can time something, get a hold of your body, and control you. Do it when he gets in close immediately clinch, hit him, and exit. Then you can plot around it and see what you want to do. Use a lot, a lot of leg kicks and leg kick feints to set up attacks up high. And do what you do best. Be violent. But don't commit to things that are going to lead to takedowns. I think as great a grappler as Tony is, and I think he's very underrated in that respect, because we talk about the unorthodox ways he can get you to the ground to defend himself from his back. This is a different animal. This is a really, really good wrestler with a strong top game. You do not want to put yourself on your back against him at any point, regardless of how good your guard is. For Kevin, he needs to eliminate that reach by answering leg kicks with leg kicks, jabbing with Tony when Tony jabs and moving his head. And to me, I think he needs to utilize angular movement consistently. Consistently. He needs to work harder on his footwork in this fight than he has for any other fight. Catch Tony off balance because we've seen it happen. Use that difference between boxing and kickboxing range to lure Tony into traps where he lets his hands down and you can hit him up top to set up your takedown and get top control. If Kevin can get that going, then we could have a very interesting fight on our hands. Uh, and who do you think is going to come out on top here? You know, I picked against Kevin when he fought Michael Chiesa largely because this was a real step-up fight for him. We hadn't seen him fight anybody at that level. But he really looked very good, looked comfortable, did not look out of his class, and really put on the best display we've seen from him in the UFC. Tony Ferguson is on a different level in terms of who he's fought, how he's looked. And I would be lying if I said I didn't feel that definitely potential for an upset here. But I think Tony has the experience. I think Tony has a better all-around game. 
And I think Kevin will get to this level, but he's not there yet. I like Tony via late stoppage with strikes. All right, Jeff, you've been uh, stumping for Tony Ferguson for a while now. Uh, I think after the Barboza win was when it kind of kicked into high gear for the the both of us. Uh, How do you see this fight going? Uh, I think Tony Ferguson is the best uh, lightweight fighter on the planet. I think he's the best lightweight fighter in the UFC. Uh, I think he's undoubtedly a future UFC lightweight champion. I think he's going to win this fight. I think both these guys, uh, they're great submission specialists. Uh, I'd argue that Tony is a better uh, wrestler than Kevin Lee, at least in his collegiate career. Uh, I like that both these guys can pretty much do it all. They can strike, they can grapple, they can do submissions. I'm pretty much take the fight anywhere, so that's why I I do expect a very exciting fight. Uh, However, I think... Both guys, you you can see, I think both guys, they do tend to make mistakes while they're standing up. We've seen Kevin Lee make those mistakes in the past uh, against people like Leonardo Santos. And I just think if that's going to happen, I think Tony Ferguson will have the advantage there. I think he probably has a better chin chin on him than Kevin Lee. But uh, I think... Regardless, I think this is going to be an outstanding fight. I can't wait to see this fight. Now, when you look at the rankings, we have Kevin Lee at number seven now, but you could arguably rank him higher. Nate Diaz is still ranked number six, and Nate Diaz hasn't fought at lightweight since 2015. His last two fights weren't even at lightweight, and he hasn't fought in over a year. Uh, Tony Ferguson, the, the only thing that concerns me for this fight is that he ended up having a bit of a longer-than-expected layoff because he didn't get that fight with Habib Nurmagomedov, which would have also been an awesome fight. And and now we, we don't even know when Habib is going to fight again. So then you have that, and then we have Conor McGregor, who's still out of the picture and doesn't have a fight or anything lined up uh, for the foreseeable future after fighting Mayweather. So we have no idea what's happening there. But I think... No matter what happens, I can't wait to see this fight. And I think Tony Ferguson is bound to become the undisputed UFC lightweight champion uh, down the line. And I can't wait to see that happen. All right. Um, Personally, I was ready to – I said it when we previewed it before. I was leaning towards Tony Ferguson over Khabib. And Kevin Lee is – there's a lot of stylistic elements, um, at least in the fundamentals, that are similar between Lee and Khabib, and Khabib's just better at them than Kevin Lee is. So if I was willing to pick Tony over the better version of Kevin Lee, I don't necessarily see why I wouldn't pick him over Kevin Lee. Uh, there's two things. You know, Pat brought up that Tony needs to get away or be careful with some of his wilder stuff. Uh, you know, ankle picks, Imanari rolls, Granby rolls from clinches. Those type of things will work against guys like, uh, you know, Lando Venata or Edson Barboza, guys without the wrestling credentials that Kevin Lee has. Kevin Lee is the best wrestler in terms of wrestling that Tony Ferguson has fought since he fought Danny Castillo. I mean, Rafael Dos Santos has a better. What about Tony wrestling, Robert? It's good. I mean, again, that's kind of my point here is that. This is the first time he's fought a wrestler that he's go- that on a technical level is going to be able to not let him get away with some of the crazier stuff. He gets away with it with other guys because he knows that if they try to just wrestle him to counter him, he can out-wrestle Danny most Castillo, of them. Can't, Danny Castillo arguably is a better wrestler than I think both of them, and he was still able to outwork Danny Castillo. He was, here's, but he also gave up about, a lot of top control time in that fight. And that's yeah, something and here's, that... Here's the, that's true. This is the thing about that, that too. St- from a strategic standpoint, would you guys say in this fight, clearly Tony Ferguson is the better striker? Uh, based on striking steps, let me see. Uh, I, think it's, I think you can argue that point, maybe. Okay. When, e- even if... Tony is an excellent wrestler, which he is. We know that Kevin is... Tony a better striker? In in terms of MMA, yes, I would say he is. Yeah. 
So even though he is a fantastic grappler, Kevin's wheelhouse is grappling. Sometimes it's not about doing what you're best at. It's about doing what you're better than the other guy at and keeping it there. And I think that's what Robert's kind of leading to with this is that don't put yourself in a position where it can potentially be advantageous to Kevin Lee knowing his background. Kevin Lee only just recently picked up the striking game and has made a couple strides in it where Tony's still much more diverse, active, and effective. So if anything, he needs to use that wrestling background to stifle what Kevin Lee is going to try to do and utilize it to keep the fight where he's at an advantage. Yeah, the two things that Tony needs to do when it comes to defensive wrestling. One is keep Kevin Lee on the back foot. Kevin Lee sucks when he's, fight, when he's going backwards. Yeah, and you can't shoot a takedown moving backwards. It's really hard. <laughs> um, and he, I mean, other fights, even that he's won, when he's been pressured into going backwards, that's where he's struggled against uh, Michelle Prezerich and Francisco Trinaldo, very noticeably. He won those fights, which is a credit to Kevin Lee. But look at where he struggled. It's when he was going backwards. Kevin Lee also doesn't really chain together his takedown attempts all that well. He's got a very good double leg. And if he's able to set it up or time it, it is very effective. He's also very good from a body lock. If he can't finish you with the double, if he gets you to the fence, he is more than competent to simply slide up, get, the, you know, get a body lock, and then take you down from there. He's one of the better back takers in the division, and he's one of the and he's very dangerous from that position. Uh, Tony Ferguson should just avoid that as much as is humanly possible because he has a pronounced advantage in the striking. The other big question mark here is Kevin Lee's cardio. Kevin Lee has never had to fight five rounds. Tony Ferguson has. Tony Ferguson fought a high output style of fighting uh, fight against Rafael Dos Anjos in Mexico City. You're not going to tire out Tony Ferguson. Uh, so, and Togi's talked about this when people have asked him about it. He's mentioned specifically that he knows how to hand fight. So if they do get into close quarters, he's going to be, you know, one of his first priorities is going to be stopping Kevin Lee from linking his hands together. And if he can't actually get the body lock, he's at a severe disadvantage. That's a big one. He needs to, and that's what the one thing, the one positive takeaway, Robert, you mentioned from the Damian Maya Tyron Woodley fight is that Woodley never allowed Maya to to grip, to get any type of a closed hand grip with his, his body locks, his singles, his ankles, never allowed him to lock hands. You can't allow Kevin Lee to lock hands because as good as Maya is in terms of uh, purely just getting you to the ground, and that involves having you in a body lock, et cetera, pulling guard from that position. Kevin Lee is extremely strong for that weight. He will force you down on your back in top position. You can't yeah. allow him to lock those hands. And in terms of hand fighting, that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, for our listeners – to stop that from happening and kind of almost Greco-Roman knuckle-locking, it means keeping the hands occupied with something else. And so in terms of that, that can constantly be Tony touching Kevin Lee upstairs with a, uh, a finding jab or a backhand, just something where Kevin Lee needs to keep his hands up because he's afraid of the hit coming his way. If he does drop his hands to try for a takedown or, you know, just using that, that longer reach and that longer frame to grab a hold of Kevin Lee's wrist when he can and just control it because that'll make him extremely uncomfortable. Yeah. Tony, uh, well, frequently if you're up, if he's, if his back is against the fence and you're you know, in that bent over position, looking for a double or a single leg, he has in the past simply dropped, uh, used both of his wrists to grab a double wrist lock, which is an incredibly powerful control position to just keep his opponent from getting again, their hands together. And without, that position, especially against the fence, even as good as Kevin Lee is, that there's just nothing there. One uh, other you... thing I've noticed, uh, one other habit I've seen in uh, Ferguson, some of his the earlier fights in his winning streak, is sometimes when he's getting lit up standing, he tends to transition to the grappling game and focus on uh, grappling. But he's successful that way, and that's when he's fighting more – that's when he's fighting strikers or more brawlers, more so than, than grappling uh, specialists like Kevin Lee. Uh, not so 
but I think he's also improved his stand his stand up game overall. Like I think I think he I think he made a lot of impro- noticeable improvements against Rafael Dos Anjos. We used a lot of forward pressure, a lot of you know good offense, good aggression, and I think and his, his range judgment was better too, Jeff. I think. Yeah, I think his defense looked uh, spectacular against Dos Anjos. So, yeah, if somebody's going to really trouble, if something, if someone's going to really trouble Tony Ferguson in the striking, it's going to be someone with really solid fundamentals who's going to punish him for his constant stance switching by stepping off onto his blind side and then tagging him from there. But I don't think Kevin Lee is that guy. Uh, yeah, I got Ferguson here and hopefully he winds up fighting Conor McGregor because I just want to see that fight. I mean, everyone wants to fight McGregor. <laughs> Point, so. Well, he is the biggest we'll payday see. out there, so I only want to see that fight Matt because Holloway McGregor's the champion. Wants that fight. Jeremy Stevens wants that fight. Polly uh, Malinagi wants that fight. Canelo wants that fight. I want that, that fight. fight. <laughs> <laughs> Con- May- according to Connor, Mayweather probably wants that. <laughs> wants the rematch too. Yeah, if he has to pay. If he mismanages his money, he might want the rematch. But other than that, uh, all right. Anyways, great fight, great main event. All right, our co-main event was supposed to take place at UFC 215. Flyweight champion Demetrius Johnson going for his record-breaking 11th consecutive title defense against Ray Borg. I have two questions for the both of you that have like nothing to do with the actual fight in many respects. Uh, Jeff, I'll start with you. Does Ray Borg actually make it to the cage this time? And B, even if he does, is he actually going to make weight? Uh, no. Flat, no. Uh, Pat, same two questions. I, I think he will make weight this time. I... <sighs> I, I know I'm I'm just betting against the odds on that, but I figure if you scare a guy enough to make weight and basically put the fear of God into him that he will never fight again, there's a chance he'll do it. All right. Uh, I'm just this whole situation has been such a, a joke and a sham that I don't think anyone. Uh, God bless him, Demetrius Johnson, because he's still going to have to take. Ray Borg seriously to a certain extent, but I don't think any of us are able to take him seriously at this point in time. I can take him seriously once he gets in the cage because I know what his skill set is and I have a deep respect for what he's able to do as a fighter. Everything else, I, I personally, I just I can't like really. His record's not that good. He's five and two in the UFC. Big whoop. Uh, again. He's he's not a you know a world beater, but I know I am familiar with his skill set, and I I know where he's good. I What's know where he's fly, not good as a general rule. record is I think it's like four and one or something, four and two. Yeah, he's four and two at flyweight. Yeah, okay. He his title shot here is in large part a byproduct of Demetrius Johnson destroying the top of this division. Right. Look, they're trying to give Demetrius a soft touch to get past the finish line. Let's call it what it is. They're trying to give him. If they were trying to give him a soft touch, it would have been Pettis. Because I don't think Sergio Pettis has a chance in hell. We don't. We don't. On a does Ray Borg have have a chance in hell? Does he have a better chance? He has a better chance than Sergio Pettis. The guy who the guy who struggles to make weight all the time and is pulled out of multiple fights, including a, a UFC title fight? Yeah. Assuming he's able to actually get in the cage and fight, he has a better chance than Sergio Pettis does, in my estimation. Mm. Based just on skill set. Now, again, likelihood of him actually getting in there and fighting on weight, that's a whole different discussion. Sergio would make the weight and would show up, unequivocally. But Sergio's a decent technical striker who falls apart if you pressure him who relies too much on his guard and if he can't out technique you he doesn't have anything he's not good 
when he's pressured. Demetrius Johnson would pressure him. His takedown defense isn't special. Demetrius' takedowns are very good. And his cardio is... He did okay in his, of his five-round fight with Brandon Moreno, but he was able to control that. We've never seen him out of control for a five-round fight. It's a still a non-trivial question mark. Now, we've never seen Ray Borg fight five rounds at all, but Ray Borg scrambles exceptionally well. If he's able to force prolonged scramble exchanges, he can hang with just about anybody. And he's also pretty good at forcing those. I still don't have an, I don't have a different prediction for how this fight goes from when we talked about it prior to 215. I I don't think Borg has a whole lot to offer outside of his scrambles and potential back takes and things of that nature. And I'm not sure Demetrius will ever let him get into that position. I think uh, the way I see this going, Demetrius is just going to control all the positions. He's going to shut down Ray Borg's offense. And I think he's just going to be quicker than him uh, in every area. He's going to have the better angles, and he's just going to do whatever he wants to Ray Borg. That's what I see happening. Uh, now, maybe Ray Borg has a good round or two. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I, I think – he is a, I think he is a decent fighter, but I just don't think he's disciplined. And I don't think this is a good weight for him, just based on history. Yeah, his struggles with the weight are pretty a pretty clear indicator that he should I've look at seen, at least going back I've up. I've never seen Demetrius Johnson gas. I've never seen him get tired, even at 125 pounds. And the only time it happened, and it was marginal, was when the first fight with Ian McCall. He slowed down in the third round of that fight, but that was it. Right. And you know what? Even right. uh, even when he fought John Dodson the first time, and John Dodson significantly hurt him in that fight, the fact that Twice. he was able to come back and and close that fight strong and then do it again, it shows just the insane level of conditioning that this guy has. Because normally you'll see a guy, once they're hurt in a fight, it, it definitely affects them even if they're able to continue on beyond that point. It didn't affect him in the least in terms of his stamina. That's insane. Yeah. Uh, I maintain he that used I think... To fight, Pl- and he used to fight bigger guys. He used to fight bigger guys at Bantamweight without getting tired either. And was a serious contender at Bantamweight and would be again if he right. moved up. I agree. Uh, I mean, I said that I joked about this before, that I think all flyweight fights should be five rounds and flyweight title fights should just be seven. Because I think they could all sustain that. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I can't pick against Demetrius here. I, I wouldn't pick against Demetrius against anyone at flyweight. And I'll be wrong about that someday. But I don't think this coming Saturday will be that day. All right. And, again, that all assumes the fight actually goes through. Next up, we have a heavyweight bout. Can't you just feel my enthusiasm, folks? Uh, Fabricio, Verdum, Fabricio Verdum will fight Derek Lewis. Uh, this is actually not a terrible fight. Uh, Verdum coming off of that decision loss to Alistair Overeem that he did that to himself. Uh, feel free to listen to our review of UFC 213, and you can hear all of us talk the about the dumb... You can hear us yeah. all talk about how stupid... Verdum's in-cage decision-making was on that night. On the other hand, we also have Derek Lewis. Lewis coming off of that loss to Mark Hunt. Uh, He talked about retiring. I think he was just dealing with a... I think he had a serious back injury that he was just dealing with and finally seems to have dealt with to the point where he's willing to continue fighting. Um... It's heavyweight, you know? I mean, anybody can win this. I keep waiting for Verdum to hit the drop-off because Fabricio Verdum is 40. And I know at heavyweight you can have a longer lifespan by being the more technically proficient fighter. But even that, it falls off at some point. And I don't think Verdum has quite hit that yet. He keeps... Again, he's you know what the thing with Ver- You know what the thing with Verdum is... The stuff that tends to fade with age comes from either just natural loss of athleticism over time or 
an accumulation of damage that starts to affect you. Verdum's generally pretty fortunate on the damage end of things. Yes, he's faced big strikers who have beaten him. He really did not take the same kind of devastation from Overeem in either of their two fights that we've seen Alistair dish out when he wins a fight. And against, you know, bigger, stronger strikers, guys who are the guys who put a hurt on people, he really has minimized the damage he takes from them over his career. Like and Fedor. secondly, his... Like Fedor. Yeah. Secondly, his style of fighting is not one based around, you know, an athletic advantage or anything of that nature. It's really more based than anything around keeping things where he's comfortable. And so long as he can do that, you're not going to see him very visibly slow down or, or look like a different kind of fighter. I think Overeem is the exception just based on, A, the stylistic matchup, and, B, there's definitely a psychology there that Verdum has when he steps into a cage with Overeem that just makes him feel inferior and scared at times um, and doesn't know how to handle it. It's just some guys have that guy in their career that's Overeem for Verdum. But his style is very much based upon technical prowess, positioning, and keeping himself comfortable. And so long as he's able to do that, which you can with a lot of guys at heavyweight, because there's not a lot of guys at heavyweight that good, he'll, he won't look out of place, he won't look uncomfortable, and he'll probably maintain a spot in or near the top five for as long as he wants to. Yeah, uh, as for the fight here, there's a lot good about Derek Lewis. I mean, one of the things that needs to be discussed with him is just his guts. That man has heart for days. He also has power. He's a very good, he, he's good against the majority of the field if they try to take him down, either stopping them or minimizing damage from his back and then getting up and making them continue to waste energy until he can capitalize. I mean, his counter, his counter grappling for a significant portion of his ascendancy in the UFC was what got him so much success guys wearing themselves themselves out trying to take him down and then him capitalizing from top position by countering them. I don't think that's a thing he can lean on here against Verdum. Uh, the guys he's been able to do that to, while some of them were good grapplers, Fabrizio Verdum is the best jiu-jitsu practitioner in heavyweight history. He is the most decorated. There's things that Derek Lewis is able to do to guys like, you know, Shamil Abdurahimov or who's that other one that I always think about? Roy Nelson. When Roy Nelson was able, I mean, Roy should have won that fight anyway, but that's a different story. Um, you know, Gabriel Gonzaga. You know, those type of fighters, they don't have the grappling acumen that Verdum does. And some of the things he does to get out of bad positions against them are just going to get him caught against Verdum. Verdum wants this on the mat or he wants it in the clinch uh, because his clinch game is actually quite good. I, as far as picking this, I don't see a reason to pick against Fabricio Verdum here. I mean, he could get caught and he can get knocked out because Derek Lewis has that type of power. And this is heavyweight, of course, but uh, this just feels like the way they match up. Fabricio's going to be able to take this where he wants it to be. And probably finish it. Uh, I, I think I've got Verdun by submission here, probably inside of three. Uh, so rounds one or two. Uh, Jeff, I'll start with you here. Uh, what, what kind of chances do you give Derek Lewis here? Where are you leaning? I think, you, you know, you can look at Derek Lewis, and you can't tell me he's not a decent fighter or he's not talented. He, he definitely is. I think, to me, it's a question of how seriously he takes his career and how seriously he trains. I feel if he took things more seriously, he could be an even higher level fighter. Um, despite, you know, some recent tough losses, I'm not picking against Verdun here. Uh, I think he ha he has some of the greatest uh, grappling uh, in MMA history. But not just that, I think when he uses his striking and kickboxing, like I wouldn't call I wouldn't really necessarily call him an elite striker, but he has like he's a be, I would say he's a better striker and kickboxer than say someone like Damian Maya or Jake Shields. Um, for someone that has grappling that high level, and I think he has good transitions as well. Uh, and I just think all that put together, 
And when he does come in shape, he can. We know he can go longer, and he can go. You know, he can fight. He can fight at those high eleva- elevations, or he can fight for five rounds. Um, I think Lewis. He, he had the longer fight with Mark Hunt, and he didn't have the cardio to go for that. Um, I mean, look, Shamil Abdur uh, Abdur Does he even? Long on the UFC roster, even at heavyweight. Don't know about that. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm picking Verdum just in general. I don't I don't know if he'll finish this fight sub, but I think he's going to dominate this fight and win. Uh, maybe I think Lewis might have a, he might come out strong and have a good first round, but uh, Verdum he can you know he can if he can weather the storm. I think that favors him all the more in this fight. All right, Pat, thoughts on uh, this one? I like the fight. I like both guys. I think Derek Lewis is a guy who is a big guy who hits hard. He doesn't do anything real technically well. He doesn't have a great gas tank, but he's good enough to be in there and make an entertaining fight. He's not good enough to beat very good fighters. And Fabricio Verdum is a very good fighter. Fabricio Verdum is a better stand-up fighter than Derek Lewis. Fabricio Verdum is undoubtedly a better grappler than Derek Lewis. Unless Verdum uh, just walks into something because he's fighting stupid, I don't see Lewis winning this fight. I think Verdum likely closes distance on him because Derek Lewis is going to want to get close to hit him. And when they do that, they're going to end up in a clinch. Verdum is going to trip him. Verdum is going to pull guard. Verdum is going to do something to get this fight to the ground. And when he does, the fight's over. I think this will end late in the first round by Verdum winning via submission. All right, and kicking off the main card, we have a really good lightweight fight. Benil Dariush is fighting Evan Dunham. Um, Dariush coming off of that loss to Edson Barboza. Oh, man. Uh, That fight, A, was a great finish. B, it was a good fight. That fight to me was, how do I say this? That fight was emblematic of a part of MMA that doesn't get enough attention in the sense that you can be a good fighter or even a really good fighter in the case of Dariush, and you can do so many things right. You can do 95% of things right in a fight relative to your opponent, relative to your own skill set. And there are just some guys who it does not matter. It absolutely does not matter that you did 96, 97% of things right. It doesn't matter how hard you trained. It doesn't matter how much you've put into it. There are some guys who are able to just absolutely negate every single bit of energy, every bit of will and physical physical ability, every bit of emotion, all of that stuff. It does not matter because there are guys who can just end you. And Barboza weathered a rough two and a half rounds. And Darius did, again, 97% of things right. And in the smallest of openings that you can't even call an error on the part of Darius, he gets knocked out. And now he's fighting some, and he's fighting Evan Dunham instead of moving up the ladder. Uh, Evan Dunham is on a four-fight winning streak. He last beat Rick Glenn. Rick Glenn took that fight on short notice. Who was he supposed to fight? Abel Trujillo. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, he beat up some guys. That fight with Dam with Rodrigo Dam wasn't close. The Ross Pearson fight wasn't close. The Joe Lozon fight wasn't close. I mean, Lozon's over the hill at this point. So it's Pearson, but um, this is a this is a good fight. I think both guys are southpaw, if memory serves. Um, both guys are good grapplers, but Dariush is probably better, both in pure grappling and in MMA terms. 
Dunham has better hands. Uh, Darius has a better kicking game, especially power kicking. There's a lot of interesting points of you know where these two clash. Uh, I'm still leaning Darius. I I have a really hard time picking against him in general, even when I should, such as you know the Edson Barboza fight. But here's just I mean I like Dunham and I won't be shocked if he wins. But to me this is about who's going to be going forward and who's who's going to be the one in control of the pacing and the location of the fight. Because while they're both good grapplers, neither of them's great off their back, so who, who's on top is going to matter. Both guys, again, they're good strikers, but neither one's an exceptional counter-striker, so whoever's going forward and leading the dance is probably going to be winning. And I feel like Dariush is slightly more inclined towards that role. He also has better movement. Uh, Dariush's footwork is uh, noticeably better than Dunham's on several levels. So I'm leaning towards Dariush. Uh, but that's a really good fight to kick off the main card and one I'm certainly looking forward to. That's a really solid four-fight card as far as the pay-per-view portion of this goes. Uh, Pat, I'll stick with you for this one. Uh, Darius and Dunham, what do you think? How do you think things are? How do you think this one goes? You know, I remember when Evan Dunham was a guy on the way up and people were like, I think, I think there's potential here. I think he might have something. And I think it was in the Wayback Machine in 2009 when he was on a fight night card against Tyson Griffin when people were still really high on Tyson Griffin. And I said, I think Evan Dunham's going to beat him like a drum. And people were like, why would you say that? I said, Dunham's just as good, if not a better grappler. And Dunham knows how to throw his left hand straight down the pipe. And Griffin doesn't move his head. And that's that was pretty much how that nine, fight but... went. It was 2010, just for the record. Yeah, pretty much how that fight went. And that was the best Evan Dunham we ever saw. And that's problematic because that was seven years ago. And he hasn't gotten a whole lot better since. Darius is a good fighter who fought a guy who's just really tough to beat when it came to Edson Barboza. And Barboza, as you said, is one of those guys who, no matter what point of the fight you're in, always has the potential to finish you. It happens. And Darius needs to use it as a learning experience, understand how he got caught, hurt, and finished, and move on in a positive way. Evan Dunham is a good comeback fight for him because he's not going to provide the trouble, the awkwardness that Barboza did. He's going to put him in situations that are pretty favorable that he can deal with. And he's there to be hit, worked over, and go toe-to-toe. I think this is a big spotlight for Darius, and he executes a really nice fight plan and finishes Dunham, probably in the second round. All right, Jeff, you mentioned last week when we uh, briefly touched on this card that you liked this fight. Uh, How do you see it going? Jeff, you there? Uh, you're still here on my switchboard. Sorry about that. Okay, no problem. Here I am. Uh, I think Benil Dariush is a very under underrated lightweight. Um, Evan Dunham has worked very hard to get his way back into the top 15 of the rankings. I think this is a good fight for both men. I think it's a nice step up for Dunham uh, after getting on a four-fight winning streak again. And I think it's the it's the first time he's been, I think, 4-0 in the UFC since uh, 2010. I disagree with Pat in saying the fight with Tyson Griffin was the best um, Evan Dunham we've ever seen. I would say maybe even the fight with Sean Scherf was the best with uh, uh, level we've seen Evan Dunham fight at against a former UFC lightweight champion and a former uh, two-division uh, title contender. So he may have lost that fight on the records, but you can't watch that fight and tell me that you didn't think Dunham should have won because he clearly oh, did. That's one of, no, that, that was clearly clucky influenced. That's yeah. That one of the most, <laughs> that was Dunham's fight. If you want to, if you want to look at in, in what you would call legitimate robberies in this sport, that fight was definitely one of them. Um, he was kind of spinning his wheels for a while after that, um, but he's he's worked.
worked his way back up. He's won his last four, uh, all by decision. Uh, but I like Darius here. I think both guys are, I, I think, are pretty solid grapplers. Uh, I think Darius is a better grappler. I think he's a better overall, well-rounded fighter. I think he has more ways to finish this fight in terms of his knockout power and his submissions. And you could you could argue Darius could still even he could be a fringe top ten fighter. He's that good. And his only losses have really been to other, I would say, elite or top ten opponents outside of the, the fight with Randy Nijam, which happened over three and a half years ago. Uh, Darius is going to win this fight, and I think he's likely going to finish on him. But I still think it'll be a fun lightweight contest. All right, that's the main card. As for the prelims, there's a few good fights here. Um, main eventing the prelims. These are on FXX, by the way, for those keeping score at home. Uh, Tom Dukenwa. What's his nickname? No, oh, the Fire Kid, yeah. Um, Dukenwa's really good, for those of you who may have missed his UFC debut when he knocked out Patrick Williams with elbow strikes standing. Um. He only has one loss. He was submitted by Makwan Amir Khani back in 2013. He's won everything since then. There was one no contest. Uh, he brings violence. He brings athleticism. He brings a lot of fire. Uh, I'm, I like uh, Duke and Wah. I like him to beat Cody Staman here. Uh, just... Duke and Watt, someone you should always try to tune in for because win, lose, or draw, that's probably going to be a good fight. Uh, Will Brooks is fighting Nick Lentz. Uh, this is Will Brooks's, and he lost to Charles Oliveira. Oy. Man, Brooks, he came in with such promise, and okay, the Oliveira thing was weird, but uh, the decisions he made against Charles Oliveira were not good. Uh, he really needs a win here. He's going to find himself back out of the UFC. Fortunately, he's fighting Nick Lentz. Nick Lentz is imminently beatable. Um, Nick Lentz likes his guillotine choke, so much so that he constantly throws himself out of position in order to get it. See his fight with Islam Makachev, if you need an example. Watch his fight with Charles Oliveira. Even some of the fights he's won. Uh, the Danny Castillo fight. Just he goes for so many guillotines, and there's a it's a low percentage submission. Ugh. Uh, I think Brooks will probably take this, but that, that, again, that should be a good fight. Another lightweight fight. Bobby Green is fighting Lando Venata. Uh, Venata was supposed to fight Abel Trujillo. It's another really good fight. These are two guys with unique kind of free flowing striking styles. Venata coming off of that loss to David Tamer. Uh, whereas Bobby Green, I want to say he lost. He's on a three-fight losing streak. Jeez. He lost to Barboza. He got knocked out by Dustin Poirier after like two years off. Well, not quite two years, but 18 months. And then lost to Rashid Magomedov. Uh, I'll lean towards Venata here, but this should be an interesting one, uh, just given the styles of those two. There's a strawweight bout between Pearl Gonzalez and Poliana Bot- Botello? Botello? Not sure. I'll go with Botello until I hear otherwise. Um, Botello's UFC debut. Gonzalez had a Uf- has already fought in the UFC at least once. Can't remember if she won or lost. Just a second, I will look this up. I know her name. Yeah, she lost to Cynthia Calvillo on short notice. Okay, I rem- remember the fight now. I'll actually lean towards Gonzalez here, but uh, there's so much unknowns in that whole scenario. I can't stand by that too much. Then on Fight Pass, we have another heavyweight fight because reasons. Um, Walt Harris is fighting Mark Godbeer. Harris is coming off of two wins. He beat Chase Sherman and he beat Cyril Asker. And Mark Godbeer... Uh, lost to Justin Ledette, rebounded by beating Daniel Spitz. Let's just hope it ends soon. I will favor Harris, but barely. Ugh, that fight. Uh, probably the best fight, at least on the fight pass half of, th- 
portion of things, not half. Uh, flyweight bout between John Moraga and Magomed Bibluadov. Um, Bibluadov, 14-0, coming off of that win over Janelle Lausa at his UFC debut. Um, it was UFC 210. Uh, yeah, he won that fight 29-26 across the board. He was deducted a point in round two. Yeah, there was a couple of just incidental groin strikes. But he still gave a 10-8 round to Lausa. Uh, so a lot of credit to him. Uh, I think he'll beat John Moraga. I like Moraga. He's a good test, but Bibloadov is actually really, really good. Um, Talos Latis fights Brad Tavares. Boy, that could suck. That could really suck. Tavares has won his last two. Latis beats Sam Alvey. I will lean towards uh, Brad Tavares, I guess. Uh, again, I, I have no, like, Confidence in that. And then kicking everything off, Matt Schnell fights Marco Beltron. Schnell lost to Rob Font and Hector Sandoval. The Font fight was on short notice and up at bantamweight. And then got knocked out by Sandoval. Beltron lost his last two. That's rough. I'll go with Schnell. I have no... Again, that one could go either way, but I'm leaning towards Schnell. All right, Jeff, I'll start with you for this. What are your burning desires? What fights do you like from uh, the set of prelims there? I definitely like uh, the Lentz uh, versus Brooks fight, Bobby Green versus Lando Venata. Those are fun lightweight matchups. And uh, Moraga versus um, Magomed uh, Bibliotov. Uh, uh, good fight, too. The flyweight. All right. Pat, what are you looking forward to? Anything going to make you tune in? Yeah. Um, I, I, I will always watch Bobby Green fight as long as. He's fighting. There's always an audience, and that audience is me. Uh, just a big fan of him. His, I, I like his fights. I like his overall presentation. I'm a Bobby Green fan. Uh, I think he gets self-marketing, and he does it well. Um, I actually like Mark Godbeer, too. I, I generally have fun when I watch him, not just for the last name, even though it's great. Uh, and I, I actually like Matt Schnell. I think he, he's never going to be the best flyweight in the world, but he always tries his best, and he always tends to put on an exciting fight, whether he wins or loses. He has an attitude of being willing to fight anybody, which is refreshing to see, um, hence how he got into that fight with Rob Font that we talked about. Uh, so I'll watch Matt Schnell fight and support him for his attitude. All righty. Jeff, any major news items you want to touch on? Um, for, oh, for the record, I will have coverage of UFC 216 Saturday in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania. Per usual. So, again, stop by, say hello. I always appreciate it. All right, again, Jeff, any news items we want to touch on? Uh, Chuck Liddell was on the MMA Hour last week, and uh, he seems to be putting the idea out that he could fight again. I don't know how serious uh, he is, but... Uh, Hey, that uh, that third uh, fight with Peter Ortiz in Bellator would do gangbuster numbers. Um, he seemed to be putting putting the seed out there for a fight with Chael Sonnen. So fun freak show fight for Chuck Liddell and Chael Sonnen. Anyone? No. Uh, I, no. I have no interest in that. Absolutely none. Well, you say no, but uh, let's see. Give me Chuck. Here's give me Chuck Liddell never, versus Sobriety. I'm never going to say 100% no. Uh, Chael Sonnen repi- uh, uh, replied on Twitter. Chuck say when on September 26th. So uh, Liddell said Chael's the easy fight. If I was going to come back, it's a good one. It's a good warm-up fight. He talks a lot. I think that that's why he does all that WWE style. So, looks like Chuck Liddell, Shell Son is going to happen, everybody. Might as well just book it now. Let's just accept it. Accept it, everyone. Can can we can we focus on actual good fights that are announced, which has happened for UFC 218 so far? Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure Sonnen versus Liddell would do solid numbers on the Paramount Network. Probably about a 1.1. Just yeah, throwing it well, out there. So, 
so far for oh, UFC right. 218 in, in December, they, they've announced Alistair Overeem versus Francis Ngannou. And they also just announced and made official Henry Cejudo versus Sergio Pettis. And there are there are rumored fights for this card, which include but are not limited to, potentially Aldo versus Lamas, Alvarez versus Gagey taking place on this one to follow the Ultimate Fighter finale. Oh, those two need five rounds. It'll never go five rounds, but they need it scheduled for five rounds. Yeah, there. And the big rumored one is Max Holloway versus Frankie Edgar. I would be very down for that fight. Yeah, I think that'd be a good fight for that card, and uh, I think they're still finalizing that one. Yeah, but that's the that's the big rumored uh, headliner for that card. But again, let's look at it all in, in in. the full scope here. Potentially, um, you have a card that features Holloway versus Edgar, which would be for the featherweight title. Aldo versus Lamas, which would generally, more than likely, either establish a rematch between Aldo and Holloway should they win those respective fights, or launch Lamas into potentially a fight with Holloway. Overeem versus Ngannou. Yeah, but think- you got to look at featherweight potentially. Who else is there? Yeah. Although it would really be even it would be even more awesome so. if in an actual title like the fifth round of a title fight Max Holloway again did the whole point at the ground and let's stand and swing thing because that's when he did yeah. it was the Lamas fight that he did that in just still insanity um, just utter insanity then you but the, and then you've got Overeem and Ngannou which like Jeff said could be a heavyweight title eliminator Cejudo Pettis is I mean pretty close to being a title eliminator as well. That, that's basically an unofficial number one contenders fight. Alvarez and Gagey for a violence. lightweight fight. So much where violence. if Gagey wins, there's if Gagey wins, there's a very good argument to put him in for a title shot. And then there's two rumored female fights for the undercard. One would be Felice Herrig and Courtney Casey. That one's official. And the uh, is it has it been made official? Yeah. That's, that's not a bad female fight. Neither one's in, in line for a title shot, really, but they match up well. And then the other would be Amanda Cooper and Angela Magana. That's not bad either. And yeah. That's also the, like, yeah. Uh, they have, they have Cruz and Rivera on that card too, right? No, not yet. That, I believe, is being looked at for January. I could have sworn they announced so that the for early their year December card. card. Yeah. Yeah, I hope all those fights come together, and hopefully we don't have any pullouts or drug tests. So yeah, yeah, that's looking to be a good. That's looking to be a good one. I hope all that. that yeah, that could be a really that. good card. Okay. Um. All right. On that note, uh, I have stuff brewing around here. Um. So, Jeff, what do you got to plug? All right. So. Uh, my movie review this weekend, check out my review of American Made. There's a pretty big movie coming out uh, next week. Uh, I might be reviewing that if you heard about it. So just be on the lookout for that. And uh, I will be doing uh, Fact or Fiction uh, for the MMA Zone this week. Um, so please check that out as well with me and um, Dan uh, Plunkett and Lorenzo Vasquez. So, uh if you happen to click on that and want to vote for me, feel free. I look forward to those. And uh, yeah, Factor Fiction is always a good time. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Jeff. All right, Pat, anything you want to plug this week? Yeah, you can go ahead on over on our Radulich and Broadcasting Network and listen to myself and Mark Radulich on TV Party reviewing season 3A of Fuller House. We did that this past Tuesday. A lot of fun was had. Um, if you haven't seen it yet, the full season 3A is available on Netflix streaming now. It is nine episodes. The entire season will consist of 18 episodes. Season 3B coming out in December, um, which will give you some time to catch up if you haven't gotten there yet. Uh, but go ahead on over and listen to Mark and I on TV Party. We discussed the changes in the show's tone that happened. We enjoyed it. We hope you did, too. 
All right. As for me, this coming Thursday, Mark Radlich and I will be doing a TV party reviewing season one of Hannibal. I finally got him to watch it, so yay me. Uh, that's one of my favorite TV shows ever, so I look forward to talking with him about that. And again, this Saturday, live coverage of UFC 216 in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania. Uh, so give that a read. Thank you all very much for listening. They, uh, always appreciated. Thank you for sharing us with your friends. If you happen to have any that are fans of MMA, point them in my direction. I'll try my best to win them over. Uh, all right. Until next time, for Pat and Jeff, I'm Robert. Thanks again for being here. Please continue to be well, be safe, and behave. Thank <laughs> you.